reach out for your dreams Don't surrender, there is more than it seems Hold on and fight, follow your heart This is your way, life is what you make of it Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani and I'd like to welcome you to another self-coaching session where real-life emotional struggle, whether it's anxiety, depression, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. And each week I answer real-life questions submitted to me from my website, selfcoaching.net. And today's question comes from Ellen. Before getting to Ellen's question, it's interesting, in the last week, I must have had at least four, maybe five, requests for understanding the historical background of why we struggle. Now, although I did address this in a previous podcast as to why we don't have to know why we struggle, I thought it might be a good idea to to extend that discussion a bit further and a bit deeper and go into the reason or the deeper reasons why what happened in your past as relevant as you might feel it is to your present, why it's not going to change your struggle. So let me read Ellen's question, and let's dig much deeper into the why we don't have to know why. And she writes, I've been struggling with anxiety most of my life. How important is it to explore your past in order to find out why? Well, There's no question that understanding the historical reasons for your emotional struggles can offer some valuable perspective. But, you know, from a self-coaching perspective, understanding the why you suffer, as enlightening and helpful as that may seem, it really isn't as important as, well, what you're going to do about it. But let me start out by saying that my, my self-coaching philosophy is built on the heretical notion that emotional struggle, anxiety, depression, it's really predicated on habits. Now, I know that ruffles a lot of feathers when we talk about emotional struggle being habit rather than mental illness. And, and I have a big problem with mental illness, the concept. I mean, I think that the medical model, which you know certainly has a long history in, in the psychiatric hospitals of the past, where you know people were treated as patients and everyone had a diagnosis and illnesses, etc. But you see, to me, an illness is something you catch. It makes you kind of passive to some outside influence. And I don't like the concept of being passive to anxiety, depressive, emotional struggle, etc. But I do feel that we need to become more active. So I dismiss the illness model because it makes us feel much too vulnerable in the sense of being powerless. We're not powerless. So by using habit as a concept, what happens is that we we all know habits. Habits are learned, and habits can be broken. But one thing about habits that really is kind of an advantage over the illness model is that habits put you behind the driver's wheel, whereas illness puts you in the back seat. So it's time to become active in your own liberation from emotional struggle. 
But first, let's understand a little bit about our human brains and why habits are so important. You know, simply put, you know, our brains are wired for habits, to form habits. And the reason being is because habits are efficient. I mean, if you had to learn to retie your shoe every morning, that's not efficient. And this is what has served us for over two million years, to form habits, to be more efficient, more effective. Now, obviously, not all habits serve us. Some habits, like especially addictions, can be life-threatening. So just because we have a propensity to form habits doesn't mean that habits always serve us. I mean, let's take a, a deeper look at addiction. You know, with, with addictive habits, we are addicted to a substance, cocaine, alcohol, chocolate. With emotional struggle, what I, what I hope to discuss today is how we are addicted to insecurity and how insecurity plays out in our lives. Now, insecurity, another word for insecurity would be vulnerability. It's the motor behind why we struggle. You see, when we're feeling insecure, we have a very human tendency to want to protect ourselves from danger, from being more vulnerable, from being unprotected. So how do we protect ourselves? Well, we protect ourselves from insecurity by trying to control life. And the more out of control we feel, the more insecure we feel, the more we try to control. We try to over-control life. We develop what I call controlling strategies, which really are habits of protection, control, for example, worry. Worry is a controlling strategy. And as any worrier or, or worry wart will tell you, it becomes very habituated. You become a worrier. You're very used to ruminations going on and on and on with worry thoughts. Other uh, types of strategies, avoidance, pulling away, especially in depression. You tend to want to be left alone. Perfectionism. Another strategy of control. You know, what's funny is perfectionists don't really want to be perfect. They just want to avoid screwing up. You see, they want to be in control. And the more perfect you are, the more in control you are. So, controlling strategies, which are a response to feeling insecure, are the nature of the game for someone that's feeling insecure. And these controlling strategies create stress. And stress is that culprit that diminishes our chemistry, our stamina, our emotional resilience. I always use the uh, metaphor of the bucket with our neurotransmitters that keep us balanced mentally. And in that bucket, uh, everything is just fine unless we start poking holes in the bottom of that bucket. That's what stress does. That's what trying to over-control life does. It creates the stress which pokes holes in the bottom of that bucket, which depletes our chemistry, and then we start to experience symptoms. Anxiety, depression, all because we're trying to protect ourselves from feeling vulnerability. Now, we could say, in a sense, that we are addicted 
to warding off insecurity. We, we start down that slope of feeling vulnerable, and we start to develop strategies that we cling to, addictive-like. Um, try to tell a worrier to stop worrying. I often see in my practice when, when I suggest anything that sounds like what you can do about not worrying, I'm told, oh, I'm afraid not to worry. For example, someone saying, uh, I have a, a medical test coming up, and I'm not sure uh, what they'll find on the x-rays or whatever. And if I were to suggest to that person to, to not worry, the response I would typically get would be, well, you know what, it's it just, well, what they're saying is it's superstitious. You see, they're afraid not to worry because worrying gives them some illusion that they're doing something to ward off bad things. And worrying has many complexions. One of them is that superstitious element. That's why we knock wood. Uh, we, we're really trying to protect ourselves from fate. So oftentimes we worry because we're trying to insulate ourselves somehow from life. And take, for example, worrying about the, the what-ifs. You know, sometimes that's about, you know, just, just trying to brace ourselves to be ready, to be prepared. Sometimes it's just wanting to rehearse over and over and over. What should I say? How will I say it? So worry is the quintessential controlling strategy. And you'll see worry in most, almost all of the emotional struggles that we deal with. And this is why I say it's kind of an addiction, because once we get involved in this, what I call an insecurity controlling juggle, it becomes really kind of compulsive. And we tend to rely on our controlling strategies to pull us through life. So let's get back to Ellen's question. How important is your history in trying to liberate yourself from emotional struggle? Well, look at it this way. You are, in this moment, an aggregate of everything that has happened to you in your life. You, know, you are the embodiment of all the ups, the downs, the frustrations, the successes, the failures. They're all encapsulated in your brain. There was a study done in, I believe it was Canada, and I believe the person's name was Penfield. And they had a patient who uh, needed brain surgery, and he was under local anesthesia. The brain has no nerve ending, so there wasn't any, any pain involved. And Penfield touched a certain point in that brain, and that person had very vivid, almost hallucinatory-like images of something that had happened in the past. The vision, the sound, the sense, everything was there. So they went on with the operation and later came back to that same spot, touched it again, and the very same image was there, almost like it was locked in that place. So our brains do record and log all of our past and hold it at bay. You, in this moment, embrace all of that. It's all there, and it's all reflected in what you've become in life. So here's my contention. 
if everything in the past is represented in the present, then why do we need to go back to the past? Why do we need to know why? I've always been of the mind that the truth doesn't always set you free. And in my experience as a psychologist, I feel the historical truth rarely, if ever, sets you free. So just knowing the why you suffer, the historical why, it's, it's not going to stop the suffering. I've seen this hundreds, thousands of times. So well, think of it like a cigarette smoker. Do you, do you think it's important for a cigarette smoker to know why they took that first cigarette? Of course not. That doesn't do anything for the habit. And that's where you need to be right now, is realizing that if emotional struggle is habit, then understanding where that habit came from is not going to do a darn thing about breaking the habit. So information, historical information, maybe it's illuminating. Certainly it, it can't hurt, and it might even be motivational to know where something came from or how it evolved. But it always comes back to the present. What are you going to do about it? A lot of patients come into therapy, and I hate to use the word patient, but I, I don't like the term client any better. I wish I had a better description of the people I work with. How about people? <laughs> okay. So the people I work with often come in into therapy, and they really, they really want to stop their pain, and they typically have a retrospective idea of what needs to happen, and they're kind of disappointed if, if I try to keep them in the present. Uh, but it doesn't take too much before I lay out this simplicity of self-coaching and let them realize what I'm, I'm trying to get across right now is that once you understand that struggle, emotional struggle, is habit, habits that we either feed or starve, just like any other addiction. We're either feeding or starving cocaine, heroin, cigarettes. So we need to know what we're doing in the present that will begin to chip away and break that habit. So that's where you need to be, in the present. Now, what happens is that we need to understand more about exactly what we're doing that feeds the insecurity that keeps generating and recycling that motor of control and over-control. You know, I keep harping on this issue of control. The reason being is because controlling life is not really natural. That takes some effort, some consciousness. It's, it's a depleting kind of you know, worry, stress, avoidance, rumination. These are stressful. Trying to control life isn't natural. What is natural is that liberated experience of living more in the present, letting life unfold, and being responsive to life rather than anticipating life with insecurity and trying to control it. So the more responsive you become, the more efficient you become, the less stressed you become, and the less you struggle. Now, of course, easier said than done. 
The problem for many is that they lack self-trust. And this is a byproduct of insecurity. Insecurity in controlling life begins to diminish the capacity for us to believe in ourselves, to trust ourselves. Think of it as a muscle, self-trust as a muscle. So rather than building self-trust, we tend to control life. We tend to try to manipulate life so that we feel less vulnerable. But we're not building self-trust. You see, self-trust isn't manipulation. It's not controlling life. By the way, I'm sorry. I have to. I have to make a distinction. There is, of course, good control, and what I'm talking about today is is bad control or compulsive control or neurotic control. What's good control? Well, that's taking vitamins so you don't get sick, wearing a seatbelt. So there is good control, but focus today is on the bad control. So when we are trying to control life. We are stressing ourselves, and we are certainly not exercising our self-trust muscle. It begins to atrophy, and the more and more we feel less trust, the more we cling to our controlling strategy. So it's a vicious cycle. The less self-trust, the more control we seek, and the more control we seek, the more stress we produce, and the cycle goes on and on and on. It's a cycle of habit. It's a habituated cycle. And it all breaks down in the present, whether you're feeding that cycle or starving that cycle. And that's what we need to focus on. How do we starve a habit of insecurity slash vulnerability slash over-controlling life. Well, let's, let's talk about the, the crumbs that we feed our psychological addiction with, our emotional struggle addiction with, and they are doubts, fears, and negatives. Those are just three tip-off words that invariably are the crumbs that we use to feed insecurity the crumbs that we use to diminish self-trust. So if you really want to start reversing this whole process, then like a cigarette smoker, like a chocoholic, get ready for some kind of withdrawal, some kind of resistance. Because breaking habits, of course, uh, habits don't want to be broken. They, you know, they're, they're very resistant. Uh, habits are almost almost like habits don't want you to kill them. But nevertheless, habits are resistant to change. And when you attack them and decide that you're going to resist yielding to the inappropriateness of these habits, the doubts, the fears, the negatives, when you do that, of course, there's go you're going to be meeting some resistance. But that's okay. Because with any habit, if you are resilient and you dig your heels in, you know that it's it's really an effort over time. And the more black and white you become with this, the more you'll advance. And simultaneously, while you're stopping the crumbs from being thrown towards your insecurity, recognize the need for taking small risks in order to develop self-trust. 
You see, self-trust is all about, as I said earlier, being responsive to life, not anticipating life neurotically through worry and stress and rumination and all that avoidance stuff. You know, it's, it's about being responsive in a way that we're allowing our self-trust muscle to convince us that we can handle what comes our way. We don't have to be in a rehearsed what-if mode. We don't have to be wringing our hands anticipating doom and gloom. We don't have to let the doubts, the fears, the negatives rule. With self-trust, you take the shot. You just assume, hey, I've handled hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of problems in the past. What makes me think I won't handle the next one? So, if you find a small challenge, let's say you're you're going to uh, make that phone call that you don't that you've been putting off. Maybe maybe it's someone you don't necessarily want to talk with, or maybe an intimidating kind of boss that you have to call. Whatever it is, take the challenge, and rather than ruminate about it, wring your hands about it, rather than spending a day or two contemplating procrastinating. Do it. Force yourself. Force yourself to just say, you know what? Rather than trying to anticipate how that's going to play out, let me just do it because basically I have to find out if I can trust myself in the moment. When I make that call, I don't have to have a whole rehearsed script. I'm going to find out how I do in that moment. I'm going to trust, self-trust myself to realize that I'm a survival machine. I have good instincts, good intuition. I'm just going to get out of my way, and I'm going to see what happens when I get out of my neurotic way, my over-controlling way, and I let myself just respond in the moment to the moment without trying to go in with a rehearsed script. The more you do this, and find safe, small ways to start convincing yourself the more you can develop that muscle. You know, it's like going to a gym. You're just not going to get the biceps you want if you do one rep. You've got to go to the gym time after time. It's, it's a process. See, so those reps will count in time. And maybe at first you won't feel it, just like you won't see the bicep growing in the first week. But like going to the gym, in time you'll start to notice change you'll become stronger. Your self-trust muscle will become more resilient, more formidable. So, not knowing why, let's go back to that question. The, the history, well, you can debate the history. I was in analysis once I was in my early 20s, and it, it was you know wonderful and explorations were nice, and, but it didn't do a darn thing to change me. It didn't do a thing. And the deeper I got into the why, the deeper I got. It's like uh, Will Rogers uh, quipped that uh, when you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. Well, in analysis, you don't stop digging. You just hand it another shovel. So let's, let's put it in a perspective that you don't need to know why. If you do know why, that's wonderful. But get back to the present because the why is represented in you today. And that's what you need to change. Just like someone dealing with any substance addiction, you don't change an addiction 
by going into your history. You change it by attacking it in the moment, by digging your heels in and stop feeding it. Doubts, fears, negatives. So if you find yourself with anxiety, if you find yourself with depression, find out what you're doing that feeds that habit. Find out and start to realize that thoughts matter. The more you become in touch with those thoughts, and the more you say, no, I'm not going down that path, the more you pull yourself away from mindlessly feeding your insecurity, the more quickly your self-trust muscle will grow. Self-trust is really the end game. People that are happy and liberated from emotional struggle are self-trusting people. So, insecurity corrupts self-trust. And insecurity manifests itself through controlling strategies. And your job today, now, in this moment, is to reconstitute that self-trust muscle. And you can't listen to insecurity. I know it's tempting, especially when you're feeling unsafe. But nevertheless, insecurity has gotten you to struggle. It hasn't gotten you to a better place. Self-trust will do that. You know, I mentioned that thoughts matter. Don't forget that. Thoughts matter. They matter big time. Thoughts are not just mental events. They're electrical chemical events that actually change your brain. Now, one thought isn't going to change your brain. But certainly over time, it's the cumulative effect, say, of negativity or the cumulative effect of fearful living. These literally change the anatomy of your brain, the neural structure of your brain. We know this from our studies in neuroplasticity, that the brain is changed by learning, by what we feed it. So thoughts matter. Start looking at your thoughts as important. Start looking at your thoughts, what you think, as not inconsequential, but consequential. Because thoughts, over time, will either lead you toward a liberated life or an imprisoned life. Doubts, fears, negatives. You can start becoming more aware, more conscious. Start taking those self-trust risks. Find little ways to do that and progress with that. Start becoming more responsive to life. And as I said, habits are learned. And all habits can be broken. It's time. And be sure to visit my website, selfcoaching.net, where you can learn more about my self-coaching philosophy and check out my number one best-selling books, now published in 10 languages. So until next time, realize that being victimized by emotional struggle is not an option. By definition, victims are powerless, and you are not powerless. And remember, everything is hard until you make it simple. So join me each week, and let's make it simple together. Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems 